and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen girl. Increasingly, we have a lot of listeners who tune in from outside of Pennsylvania. This includes many from Maryland. So it got me curious, and it leads us to today's discussion. We're sitting down with two incredibly passionate grassroots volunteer organizers. They live in the suburbs of Baltimore, and they help found a group called Allies for Democracy. While they can't vote in Pennsylvania, they've gotten deeply familiar with Pennsylvania politics and, more specifically, the streets and cul-de-sacs of suburban York County. So I'm eager to hear their perspective as we enter the 90-day sprint of this historic campaign. Sonia Shah and Tom Glancy, welcome to my kitchen table. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You have the uh, distinction of being some of the first guests who are not Pennsylvanians, but I was so looking forward to sitting down and chatting because what you're doing, uh, largely under the radar from Maryland, is just super intriguing and playing a really integral role in this this 2022 election cycle. So maybe give listeners a sense of uh, uh, your background. We'll start ladies first, uh, Sonia, and then uh, we'll certainly plunge into, uh, you know, each and every weekend what y'all are doing. Yeah, so I started getting involved in campaigns in the 2018 cycle when a friend of mine from an indivisible group here in Baltimore County ran for county council. And, and the idea then was that we just wanted to challenge Republicans wherever they were holding seat. It was a long shot race. But after it was over, we had kind of built this network of activists and we wanted to do something with it. Um, and so we started to think about where we could have the most influence on the federal level. And of course, Maryland being a blue state, it felt like we had all these, all this energy to get rid of Trump, but not a lot of actual mechanisms to do that in Maryland. Uh, but we're only an hour and a bit from the Pennsylvania border. So we started to work on sort of down ballot uh, races, tw- special elections in 2019. And then we continued from there. We worked uh, in Pennsylvania canvassing and then phone banking and, and uh, you know, virtual stuff after COVID struck in the 2020 cycle. And we're continuing that now with them in, uh, for the midterms in 2022. Excellent. And, and Sonia, when you're not a, uh, although it's probably, uh, you know, it's, it's in your DNA now, uh, when you're not a political animal, uh, what, what keeps you busy? What, what's a little about your background? I'm actually a, a journalist. I'm a freelance journalist. So, and I write mostly about science and human rights stuff. So I've always kind of been writing about politics in one way or another, but not, you know, electoral politics. So this is, so that, that that's a new thing for me in the last, since Trump was elected, basically. And Tom, you're, you're in the hot seat. How, so how did you find yourself trekking up I-83, if I know my interstates? to, uh, to uh, Yeah, no, that's the right interstate. I'm a retired attorney. I retired in 2000. My practice was primarily personal injury, but I did a lot of civil rights work with the ACLU and a group called the Public Justice Center that does impact litigation here. And, you know, like a lot of people, I was just stunned and shocked after the 2016 election. And so I became involved in the same campaign that Sonia was talking about for county council, which is, you know, where our group grew out of. 
But at the same time, uh, I was going up to uh, Harrisburg in York in 2018 to, you know, canvas for George Scott, who was running against Scott Perry. I know you're, he's a former, you know, he was on one of your podcasts. I know, you know, George. And then as Sonia said, we, when the group got together that had been involved in the election, we decided to focus on South Central Pennsylvania, not because there weren't races in Maryland, but Maryland's a reliably blue state. And we knew that Pennsylvania could very well determine the 2020 presidential election. So we started going up in 2019. We got involved in a uh, open, a special election. We were working for Sarah Hammond, who was running against uh, a guy, uh, Doug Mastriano, who she lost to. I, I don't know what became of him, but uh, we moved on to other races. Yeah, I don't know if and, listeners uh, are familiar with Doug Mastriano. Uh, he's, 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 yeah, he's, he's, yeah. He's obscure figure. Maryland border. Very yeah. obscure figure. Yeah. Your guest last week seemed to know a little bit about him. So uh, I, I, if your listeners are probably know a little bit about him, too. So was um, that, in 2019, this was... This was all it was an organic, or, the, or the organization was actually organized and, and came together. Well, yeah, they, kind they, of an ad hoc group of carpool. It was like the organization was there after the 2018 election in which we were all working for Colleen. And then like in January, February, she kind of said, well, let's not break up the old gang. Let's see what other challenges we can use this organization and point it towards. And because most of us are from Baltimore County, which is right on the border with Pennsylvania. And given the importance of Pennsylvania and that Maryland was a reliably blue state, we came to an, uh, an early consensus that we wanted to go up to Pennsylvania. We investigated uh, South Central Pennsylvania, which is where we ended up, and some of the suburbs south of Philadelphia. And for reasons of proximity, in part, we decided on South Central Pennsylvania. And I, I had been up, you know, involved with some groups up there, Lancaster and York stands up and Lancaster stands up. So I saw that even though it was a red area, there was a lot of, a lot of enthusiasm on the ground. And so that's what we, we, we focused on in 2019. It was a couple of uh, local races because that's when you have your local races. And then in 2020, we decided to gear up for the presidential race race. We're primarily a canvassing outfit. So we canvassed the first two weekends in March of 2020. And then when COVID shut everything down, we had to regroup. And in terms of regrouping, eventually we turned into uh, an organization that was primarily involved in phone banking. And we did a lot of, lot of phone banks, uh, probably called, you know, placed 200,000 calls. You know, 200,000? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, then th- these are not all productive calls, but yeah, that, that's how many phone <laughs> we would have. We'd have 40 to 50 people on a phone bank and we we're having them once or twice a week. That, that, we that's started- remarkable. So j- j- just so listeners understand. So 40 to 50 Maryland volunteers taking time out of their 2020 summer schedule, just calling perfect strangers in the 717 area code of South Central Pennsylvania. I mean, it wasn't, and it, and it wasn't just uh, people in Maryland at that point, Ari, because, you know, we had created a, a network of activists in our own communities, friends and neighbors and family members. But then once COVID hit and we kind of had to pivot to phone banking instead of weekly canvases, we were able to reach deeper into our social networks. So we had people from New York, Vermont, California, you know, like my mom in Florida called with us, her neighbors <laughs> 
called with us, you know, so we, we kind of drew in a bigger group for the phone banking than we were, than we had been for. Wow. So in, in, in 2020, you mentioned, for example, George Scott's 2018 congressional campaign, but in 2020, were you working with a specific campaign or were you working with the county party or how were you getting access to all this voter data? Well, we did it a, a couple of different ways. We worked with the PA Dems, but we our first contacts were with uh, Turn PA Blue. So they had hooked us up with which which are the races that are going to be you know the most really need our help or where we can actually make a significant difference. And our idea at that point was that we wanted to kind of do a reverse coattails uh, strategy. So we wanted to work with as local candidates as we could get. The thinking being that if you can mobilize somebody for, you know, their everyday really local issues and they're going to get out to the ballot box and vote up and down the ballot blue. So we started out doing working with Turn PA Blue and they were pointing us to candidates. So in some cases we were you know, corresponding direct, eventually corresponding and organizing directly with campaigns. But then we also did some with um, PA Dems and other sort of groups that were bringing, you know, a bunch of different campaigns together. So it, it kind of morphed along the way. We have quite a few listeners in and around Washington and increasingly in Maryland. I assume after our conversation, we'll have more in Maryland, but just for listeners' benefits. So the, unlike Annapolis, the legislature in Harrisburg is full-time. It's 203 state house members, 50 uh, state senators. The Republicans have the majority. And I'd encourage listeners, uh, albeit somewhat dated, but one of our original episodes in, if memory serves me, February or March of 2021 was with the founder of Turn PA Blue, which is a grassroots organization entirely focused on uh, the state house and the state senate. Uh, so sorry for that little uh, commercial or infomercial break. No, and you know, Andrea Coppola, who was our primary contact with Term PA Blue, was just fantastic in giving us her time and pointing us in the direction of candidates. And then, you know, once she would suggest candidates, we'd do our direct research and decide which candidates to uh, work for. In 2020, we did get involved in the Deep Pasquale you know, versus Scott Perry campaign on the congressional level. But other than that, it was primarily four House races and four and, and one Senate race in the Harrisburg area that um, we thought might be flippable. And as, as you probably know, in 2020, there, it, you know, it was on a razor's edge. There was a very good chance that uh, we could take, you know, we could uh, flip the Senate. I mean, a flip flip the legislature, which was awfully important because they were going to be doing the deep redistricting and drawing the maps. And as Sonia said, our reverse coattails philosophy is uh, if you can get a vote for maybe a low interest candidate who doesn't vote very much, who might be interested in a local issue, that voter is also going to likely vote Democratic uh, further up the ticket. Just speaking of local and getting a little granular, because I think that's what listeners uh, enjoy and expect. You've mentioned York County, you've mentioned Lancaster County, you've mentioned Harrisburg. Uh, I suppose geographically, York County is the easiest to get to. But specifically, if we could talk about the the townships and the the state house districts, maybe more so the geography that that you know the turf that you guys are covering this cycle and previous cycles. Okay. Well, George Scott was running for state senate. We had, you know, I had worked on his campaign for Congress in 2020. He was running for state senate in Harrisburg and uh, areas west of there. And then there were um, several candidates that were kind of subsumed within his senate district who we would also work on. And so it was like, 
you know, we would a lot of times we would have phone banks and we would be phone banking for three candidates that the House candidate whose district was in George Scott's district, whose, whose district was in the congressional district that Deepa Pasquale and you know, Scott Perry were vying for. Actually, it was Scott Perry was running against Brittany Rodas, wasn't she? Am I getting it wrong, Tom? Am I forgetting? No, it? no, Deepa Pasquale. Brittany Rodas was one of the, the house rate that the uh, state house races, house of delegate race. Campaign. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. But that was one thing we tried to do too, because when we first came up with this strategy, we thought we'd be canvassing. And so we were looking for races where we could canvass for a local candidate, but also be mobilizing voters for um, important races up the ticket. So Brittany Rodas was a really good candidate for us because her all the turfs she had that we where we were going to knock, we could also knock for Deep Pasquale and for George Scott. So that was sort of, you know, triple bang for the buck. Those were our three principal candidates, I would say, yeah. that we were supporting in 2020 in Pennsylvania. And we, you know, because we had to go from uh, canvassing to phone banking. It also opened us up. So I'd say we probably 60-70% of what we did was making calls into Pennsylvania. But we also organized some phone banks for a candidate down in North Carolina and a little bit in Arizona for Mark Kelly. We were able to, you know, because you can you can phone bank anywhere. I just think it's incredible if I heard correctly. So in March of 2020 when when it's not Arizona, when you never know what the Pennsylvania weather is going to throw at you. You you already had a, a canvas uh, a run or two up there? Yeah, yeah we, we started in February, I think, didn't oh we? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I, think I, thought, I thought our first canvas was on March 1. We had okay. uh, we had the party in February to get our volunteers kind yes, of Yes, uh, we had a big party. Ex- we excited. We got a bunch of people to agree to knock on 500 doors. This was a little promotion we did is that you know, we had a we had a party in a pub and we laid out our spiel and we said, you know, who here will, you know, commit to knocking on 500 doors in Pennsylvania between now and the election. And we got, you know, I think like 15 people right then and there said yes. We all ultimately got, I think, nearly 40 or 50 people to say yes, they would do that. And then, of course, we had to pivot to phone banking. So we weren't able to actually start. But in the beginning, it was it was super cold the first couple of times we went up and John Sarbanes, who was, you know, our congressman here in, in Maryland, actually came out to, you know, give us some inspirational words before we all got into our carpools and drove up to Harrisburg. And he's the um, principal author of the For the People Act. So, you know, he and he was very good. You know, you would think a lot of congressmen would say, stay in Maryland. You know, we need you here. He was encouraging us to go up to Pennsylvania because he knew that, you know, that could be the deciding tipping point. I want to certainly get into the nature of uh, your volunteers and uh, give listeners a sneak preview of the final hundred days of uh, this whirlwind election cycle. But, you know, I'm just curious because you've alluded to, right? So, so Baltimore County abuts the Pennsylvania border. Uh, but Baltimore County is deeply blue, and then it borders York. Maryland County. is deeply blue, and the Baltimore Maryland is a, a state. But why? Why do you think the politics are so radically different? My understanding also is there's a lot of new, at the expense of family farmland, new growth over the Pennsylvania line. A lot of people who commute down to the city of Baltimore or the Baltimore suburbs, but yet the politics are significantly different. But although if you think about it, the top, the northern half of Baltimore County is pretty red. It's not when you get 20, 30 miles south of the border and you get into the 
you know, the northern suburbs of Baltimore that it really is blue. And because the population centers tend to be in the urban areas in Baltimore County, the county itself is is somewhat blue. But the areas that are close to Pennsylvania are not. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Right. Because that's where we had run that first uh, county council campaign that we were involved in, out of which Allies for Democracy grew. And that was in sort of the reddest district of Baltimore County, which was the one that abuts the Pennsylvania border. Okay, so we talked a little about that evening at the pub and the uh, getting people to commit to 500 doors and you know, 15 people signed right up, but we don't have to mention names. I'm just kind of curious if we can paint a picture of uh, these types of volunteers, which I just think is incredible, right? I mean, half of our country most likely isn't going to vote in November, dare I say probably 55 plus percent. And here you have people giving up their weekends to travel an hour north uh, to a different state. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we have tried to do is to create a sense of fun and camaraderie in all of the organizing we do. So it's, you know, people are coming out because they care and because they're reading the paper and they feel sick to those, their stomachs about it and they want to do something, right? So then our idea is let's provide folks something to do that feels useful that we can track some outcomes for right so we have some strategy like this is actually something that could make a difference and then make it as fun as possible so we really try to incorporate a social element to our organizing so we have regular you know we have picnics we have get-togethers at pubs on our zoom meetings we always had you know a, a chit chat part of it we take breaks and like share stories um, we have a network on online, you know, uh, like a distribution system, like a Google group for our activists. So if anyone can post to them. So it becomes like a community event. So it's not just, oh, I'm giving up my weekend to sacrifice for the people of Pennsylvania and for the greater good. I mean, it is that, but it's also, we're all human. We all want connection. We all want to, you know, feel like we're part of something and part of community. And so we try to make our organizing meet those needs too. So now we have a network that is, it's, it's a, you know, it's an alliance of values and who people who care about the same things, but it's also a lot of us are friends. And we also, on the flip end, we also try to be very protective of our volunteers. So when we go up, cause we're asking them to commit five hours out of one of their Saturdays or Sundays. And so, you know, we try to vet the candidates ahead of time, vet the organizations. And if we go up and we have an experience that's less than positive, the campaign just doesn't seem to have their act together, they don't have the turfs, then we'll, you know, we'll peel off and we'll look for other opportunities for our volunteers that will still be impactful, but will be more rewarding to them. Yeah, I, I don't know much about field. Uh, I'll be the uh, very transparent and say that, but we all have heard stories, especially the weekend before election day, where you know, people travel some distance and they show up at the campaign office and it's just a lot of standing around and there's nothing more frustrating than that. So, and, you know, to that point, I'm just curious in all this great work, I mean, are you encountering volunteers from New York or from, from elsewhere that are coming in uh, or is it primarily just the folks from right there in the community? There's a whole network of other groups that are doing what we're doing in Pennsylvania. And so that and they meet regularly. We have a, one of our co-organizers usually goes to those and reports back mm -hmm. to us. But that's been going on since the 2020 cycle, if I'm not mistaken, Tom, right? Or even. Before. Oh, yeah. And the lead up yeah. to the 2020 election, they, early 2020, they, they started having those uh, those calls. And really, you know, there's yeah, there's a lot of people. We're mostly seeing people, Pennsylvania and Maryland 
And one of the reasons we chose South Central, in addition to it being, you know, the literally the closest area for us was that our contact at Term PA Blue was kind of pushing us to South Central because she said Philadelphia and its environs, they get so many volunteers from New Jersey, New York, but, you know, and, and but people from the Northeast tend to get down to Philadelphia and not much beyond Philadelphia. And so in terms of activism, South Central Harrisburg, York was considered underserved as opposed to the, the Philadelphian environs, which is one of, another reason we ended up there. Yeah, and I would encourage a, a shameless plug here. I encourage listeners to listen to the episode we did have with uh, George Scott, who, uh, you know, when you actually look at the census data, once again, fortunately, often at the uh, expense of family farms, there's just this tremendous growth uh, in the greater Harrisburg area, the Harrisburg media market. And you could see a scenario within the next decade that uh, these are much more purple, if not blue counties. But the two of you have been super generous with, with, with your time, but I am curious, has word gotten out? In other words, are folks uh, from, let's say, I don't know, Annapolis or Frederick or the DC suburbs, are they uh, joining your caravans? Uh, if I can use that term, or is it still primarily folks in and around the city of Baltimore? Yeah, I would say it, it's more, it's still more Baltimore because, for example, uh, the DC suburbs, you know, there's some important races in Northern Virginia, which is closer for them. And so you might get, get the people down there. Uh, there is um, 31st Street is a tremendous organization, which started in the, the DC suburbs, Montgomery County. And I know they, they end up sending up a lot of people there uh, up to Pennsylvania, South Central. And it turns out to be a lot of the same candidates because they do their research. We do our research and we come to an agreement. We tend not to canvas with them, but we run into them a lot. And so, so our group might be left. more. 31st Street Swing Left. Yes. I was just going to say, our we have an email list of about 600 people and we reach maybe a thousand people on social media channels. And most of them are Marylanders. Uh, we have a scattering of people from other states because of the phone banking. But I think, you know, since canvassing is, you need to be efficient with your time. And most of our carpools will will start from Baltimore County. So people aren't gonna necessarily wanna spend two hours getting to the carpool site even before we drive up to South Central PA. So yeah, it is ge geographically limited at this time because of canvassing. Once we did, when we did phone banking, like I said, you know, people were coming from all over to our phone banks. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Okay, we're going to do something we've never done on the podcast. It'll be my final uh, question. I'm going to ask you about Maryland politics, which I don't know much about, but I know that the primary just recently occurred. I know that the race for governor on the Democratic side and the Republican side had a lot of fireworks, shall we say? And I would just be curious uh, to, uh, to to end on uh, your perspective with that. I'm cautiously optimistic, kind of like I'm cautiously optimistic on the Pennsylvania Senate and governor's races in that the Republican candidate for governor in Maryland is, is very weak, very extreme. Even our Republican governor re refuses to uh, endorse him. And our Democratic nominee, Wes Moore, is charismatic. He's progressive. He really comes across well. So I'm feeling pretty good this time. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Tom entirely. And we're, we're still going to be adding some Maryland canvases probably to our calendar, because people are just worried, you know, and I feel like a lot of these extremist candidates that are 
you know, getting nominated by the Republican voter, they need to be defeated, not just by, you know, 2%. They need to be defeated definitively to send a message. So we're going to most likely be adding some uh, canvases right here in Maryland for the governor's race and other races too. Well, Tom, Sonia, thank you for your time, your perspective, and more importantly, for um, being out there in the trenches. As President Roosevelt said way back when, the credit belongs to those in the arena, and you certainly are in the arena. Thank you, Ari. Thank you for having us and helping us get out the word. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Take a minute and leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform. Please also consider following us on social media for updates and announcements regarding future episodes and new guests. You're political, so I am sure that you're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We are too at PA Political Podcast. Visit our website, PAPoliticalPodcast.org, and send us your feedback about this episode and suggestions on future guests. Until next week. Thank you.